0: Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, This week, my guest is Crystal Carruthers, and she is a real estate investor. Welcome, Crystal.
1: Thanks, Gary. It's really a pleasure to be here with you.
0: So, Crystal, what made you want to get into real estate?
1: It was kind of accidental. I had been an electrical engineer, and when we had children, I wanted to be home with them more often. I was working some part-time, but to be honest, I never really loved engineering. I I liked engineering school a lot, but the actual engineering, it turned out really wasn't for me. I'm not cut out to sit in a cube all day. And so one night when my daughter wouldn't sleep very well, I was up with her and I stumbled onto a book about wholesaling, uh, doing creative real estate just for free in the Kindle store. And that was kind of all she wrote. Basically from that, I learned about the idea of you know, buying directly from the sellers, uh, buying at a serious discount, buying properties that maybe other people don't see the value in. And after that, I convinced my husband to at least attend a local RIA meeting with me, a Real Estate Investors Association meeting. And uh, I found out years later that he only agreed to come with me because he thought it was a scam and he was coming to keep me from buying something. So we did end up buying something, but it was at least a month later, we ended up signing up with a local mentor and that was the best decision we could have ever made. And from there we built the business and he, he was still working full time at that point. And I was home with the kids. So I hauled the kids to a bunch of disgusting properties. I think it's probably good for their immune systems. (laughs) And uh, in the meantime, my husband, he, he still supported the family and worked full time and he would handle our rehabs. At lunch, he'd go out and check the jobs and do all that. So he played a very important role as well. And so after about four or five years of that, we were actually able to get him to leave that job. And he's been full time in this as well. And now our kids that are 10 and 14, they're both in school. So it feels like we have all kinds of time compared right. to the early years.
0: Right.
1: So no, it mean- was only two years ago that we started doing commercial real estate.
0: Okay. So now, how many, over this time, how many deals have you guys done?
1: Um, I mean, well over 100. Primarily, we were buying single family and duplex um, deals for the first, you know, seven or eight years that we were doing this. Uh, In 2020, with the eviction moratorium and all of that stress, uh, we decided maybe it was a good time to move into some different asset classes that... You know, maybe the government wouldn't tell us that we couldn't collect rent on. And so we've been focusing on commercial for the last two years. Okay. And one of the things I like about commercial is, you know, you can do just several deals a year and actually make way more money than if I was buying 30 houses.
0: Right. Right. Now, when you guys are, do- are doing this, because you were talking about the distressed homes and, and some of the rehab and stuff. Are, are you buying these properties to uh, to just rent them? or are you flipping them? or are you what what all are you guys doing?
1: We have primarily been buy and hold investors, but okay. I feel like we've done almost every kind of single family deal anyway. I'm finding a commercial that there is it's so much more creative. And so there are deals that I haven't even dreamed of doing in commercial yet. But um, mainly buy and hold because we really like to focus on passive income.
0: Right.
1: Um, also, you know we don't like paying more taxes than we have to. And when you wholesale properties or you flip them, you know it's it's always great to get that extra capital. But you're only focused on that one property or two properties at that time, and you tie up your capital. Whereas we could do it much faster, getting it in rotation um as rental properties and ultimately that's what we want is that passive income coming in we d- we didn't want to replace this and just make it another job per se where when we stopped doing it it wouldn't pay us anymore
0: right right now our listeners are probably sitting thinking it's like okay well how did you, how were you able to finance all of this i mean if you've done you know, you're saying that you guys have done, you know, hundred deals now gotten into commercial because lots of times commercial ends up being more expensive. Um, how have you guys found financing for these type of deals?
1: Right. It helps that so my husband used to be a banker, so he okay. speaks banker ease very Great. well. He knows, you know, how to relate to them. So primarily most of our, our projects have been funded by banks. Right. Um we had a bit of a nest egg set aside. So that got us started in the beginning, but, you know, basically we always buy at a discount. Mm -hmm. And so that enables us to just keep building on that equity instead of having to leave a bunch of equity in each deal. Historically though, you know, some of our best deals have been seller Mm financed. I really love crafting the creative deals coming up in the negotiation with things that, might make the seller really happy and it doesn't bother me at all right. or vice versa. Something that they can easily give me, but it makes my deal way better. And seller financing is often one of those things. So I'm always seeking out deals where the sellers would be open to that. Mm-hmm. Um, we also work with private lenders. So that that was, we work with a lot of investors now, but that was where we first started working with investors um, because we would work with, friends, acquaintances, just people that we had met that wanted to get an above average return compared to what they were getting in their CDs or whatever at that time, but they were comfortable with real estate. And so um, we've bought probably 90% of our houses in the last four or five years using private lenders that we can buy the deal, fund the rehab, and then, with relationships with our local banks, as soon as we get it rehabbed and rented, we can refinance that out, pay them back. They're happy because their money wasn't tied up real long term, but they got a good return, and um you know, I think there's something tempering about investing in real estate. It's not just a piece of paper. You can drive by and see if it looks like progress is being made, or you can at least verify there's actually a property there. Um, a lot of our investors. You know they started slow with that, and then they just, you know, they keep asking for more on that one.
0: Oh yeah, I'm sure after they've gotten to know you guys and they've seen okay, this does work. I'm sure they are, um, you know, especially with the way that the that the uh, stock market has gone lately.
1: Exactly. Um, You know, with our with our debt partners that lend to us, because um, we are using debt partners as well in our commercial properties now, even though they're bigger deals. Right. So. You know that needs to be structured a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Gary, I have completely
0: blanked. That's all right, That's fine. So the the you had said said that a lot of the deals that you guys do are um, you're you're buying at below market or you're buying at a discount. How are you finding uh, these properties that are at a discount? Because a lot of the say uh, so-called experts in this are saying that all oh, the deals aren't out there anymore. And I'm sure they are because you're still doing them, but how, how are you finding these?
1: We do our own prospecting. Okay. I'll admit it is a different ball game in commercial. Um, it's much more relationship based. So the standby off market deal in commercial is really just brokers that are not publicly listing it, but they're still reaching out to all the buyers that they have to try to find someone. And in my opinion, that, that doesn't feel very off market. That's still a broker handling it.
0: Right.
1: My favorite deal is when I can just sit down with the seller and we can craft a deal and come up with a solution. And, you know, it may not even be someone that was originally intending to sell, but we, we've started prospecting by uh, cold calling. Historically, we've always done mailings. It's just now our our mailings are directed more to the commercial properties um, because what might entice a commercial seller to want to sell is often different than what it might be for a homeowner.
0: Okay.
1: So also word of mouth. I have gotten way more active in our local communities, Mm -hmm. the Chamber of Commerce and uh, business associations and things like that. And I'm just putting the word out there that we're looking for properties to buy. So if they know of anyone that is interested in selling something like that, you know, send them our way because in commercial, we do not get things generally as much of a discount as what we might historically on the houses.
0: Okay. It
1: also helped that we were in a really great market, you know, six, seven, eight years ago. Right. Uh, back then, I feel like it was kind of the easiest thing ever to find a deal. And it has definitely gotten more challenging in the last couple of years, but the system still works. Right. And on a commercial deal, even if I only find a few per year, that's, that's a great year for us. And we only are going to do deals that make sense. Um, When you start overreaching for a deal, that's where things go bad.
0: Right. Right. I know that, that, you know, I, I I talk to people and people are taking their you know possibly taking their primary residence and changing it over to a rental property, and they are um, you know they're they're not cash positive from day one on it, and I really try to um, to kind of sit and explain you know to them it's like why you know why are you oh somebody else is paying paying down my equity. And it's just like, okay, but you're still coming out of pocket every month. And it's like, you know, you guys are really looking at this as a business. Um, and a lot of other people get into real estate um, and they don't look at it as necessarily as a business. Um, what are some of the other common mistakes that you're seeing people make when they try to get into to what you guys are doing?
1: I would say... Like you're speaking of not factoring in all the other costs. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're not even cash flow positive after paying the mortgage, you're really, really not cash flow positive when you factor in maintenance. uh, If you're using property management, um, you know, some people's taxes and insurance aren't escrowed, and those things certainly do go up every year. Oh, yeah. So, you know, if you get in a flat market where maybe the rents aren't going up, well, then. Your fees can still go up. So in the early years, we would look to cash flow at least three hundred per door after all of our anticipated expenses. Now that's gotten a lot harder to do right. through the years. Um, and we approach the commercial business differently. Um, I have a much more elaborate spreadsheet for the underwriting of our commercial deals. But you know, often people are banking way too much on appreciation. Okay. It helps that I'm in Oklahoma, which you know, we have good rents, but we don't have the wild appreciation that maybe California or Phoenix do. Right. And that forces us to be more realistic. You know, I would never dream of keeping something that wasn't cash flowing after every expense, right. um, <laughs> not just barely. And we learned that was a great strategy when we had a terrible ice storm a couple of years ago that we didn't have a single claim. That was big enough to file on our insurance, but when it was said and done, we were out about thirty-five, thirty-eight thousand dollars in tree work. Like it was outrageous how bad that ice storm was, <laughs> and there was no way to get that back easily. Right. You know, that's years' profit if we weren't, you know, that even at our cash flows, that's that's a lot of profit.
0: Oh yeah,
1: and if you were not cash flowing, you. would that's just straight out of your pocket. So I'm very very passionate about financial education. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we have mentored people in our local community. We've taught on conference, like cruises, things like that. Um I love the idea of educating kids.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, when they're young, teach them how to invest their money because they've got their whole life that you know, that money can appreciate. And so I would never advise for people to start acquiring a lot of properties or even just invest investing passively without at least doing some level of education. There's a lot of free education online that you can do. And if you're really wanting to start adding properties, I definitely encourage people to reach out to their local groups. I think investors are extremely generous with their knowledge, probably because we all like to talk. Right. Right. (laughs) And so we, we love a captive audience that we can tell all about, you know, our huge fails and our huge wins and all of that. So, um, you know, whether you're paying for a mentor or you just go and hang out at these meetings, it's a valuable resource and not necessarily a really expensive mentor. I don't think you have to do that, um, especially if you're just getting started. Uh, a local mentor that you could pay, you know, 2000 $5,000, I think is gonna be way more valuable than a lot of these large national names that really don't know your market because how i approach something in oklahoma is going to be vastly different than someone that is not in say a, a landlord friendly state
0: right
1: or in a place where they can cash flow i mean there are states where it really it doesn't make sense to even hold rentals you need to basically be flipping um because you are buying for that appreciation right so right. it helps to have local knowledge and you know i think that everyone needs some passive income so I love real estate. I think everybody ought to get into it whether it's actively or you know passively, but you need to know what you're getting into. And it, it is not the hardest thing. We we all live in properties, so right. we already have some familiarity. We just need to know how to do it in a way that doesn't risk our money.
0: Right, right. And and keeps that that cash flow coming.
1: Yeah. I mean, there're are occasionally deals that you might do that are short term that you know that you may not be cash flow positive but you know we've been doing this almost 10 years and it's my experience that even factoring in things like maintenance and property management and all the insurance tax you know costs those things like that you're still not really making what's on that spreadsheet right? because there are other expenses there's capex that comes up it's you know the the AC unit going out, it's, you know, whatever, the roof. And you need to plan for those. If you're, you know, barely making $50 a door, you need to decide whether that's, is that going to stay that value? Maybe you're in an area that has great rent appreciation right now and $50 a door might be a hundred dollars a door next year.
0: Right.
1: Then it might make sense. But most of the time I find people are too aggressive and I'm pretty aggressive in trying to get a deal, but, um, especially beginners, they just don't see the costs that are coming.
0: Yeah. I think, I think, you know, when you're, when you're talking about, you know, finding that mentor, um, to help you, you know, through it, it is important because if you've never done a rental property before, um, you know, just how do you pick the right tenant? How do you make sure that you don't get burned? I mean, it's all of those kind of things that that people don't think about. And um, I'm I'm big in you know getting professionals in your corner that have done this that can help you. Um, you know, some people are are big the big uh, DIYs and stuff like that. Uh, but I think when it comes to a lot of the the things that you're doing, especially from the legal side, the DIY is not the way to go. Um, you know, I just I've seen too many people get burned for it because they're pulling down, you know, a lease and that lease isn't good in their state um, and they end up getting burned on it. So, um, yeah,
1: I I have bought a lot of properties from tired landlords or people that had a flip that they they were going to do on the side and it you know, it's been a year and they're sick of paying the payment and they just need to get out of it. And so I always say that you should either get education to be a landlord professionally, because I promise there are professional tenants out there that know the, in our state, it's called the landlord tenant act. We've had tenants that know it just as well as us, but at least we knew it too. Um, if you're not Wanting to be the landlord, which there's certainly nothing wrong with that, you just have to factor that cost in your deal and then hire a professional manager. But you still need to know enough about it that you can manage the manager. You need to have an idea of is this a reasonable cost? Um, Are they overpaying for these charges? Are they taking too long to fill my property? Um, More education is always valuable. And a lot of that you can easily get online. There are so many free resources out there. And Frankly, that's one of the things I love about what we're doing now. As we do these bigger deals, we're actually bringing in passive investors for the people that they want the value you know, of being in real estate, but they have no interest in ever being a landlord or even running it like a business where they have to oversee the property manager. And so now we're able to bring people in as equity partners on some of these bigger deals and they can get the benefits of real estate while still having professionals run it. And not having to deal with the day-to-day work. So that, that's also valid. But once again, you need enough education to be able to read the offering and know what you're investing in.
0: Right. You know, earlier you were talking about um, you know, your kids um and how you've gotten them involved in in this with you and your husband. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, I have to say this is one of the things that makes me the happiest is Years ago, as we were dragging the kids to these houses, at one point, my son said, "Well, can I get a house?" I was like, "Yes, yes, you can <laughs> and so I started trying to come up with how that would work, and so obviously, it had to be a deal that cash flowed from day one um it needed to have minimal rehab because that is my least favorite part of the right. process. Um, I love my children a lot, but not enough to do an enormous rehab
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um we finally found the right deal for our son a couple of years ago, and he had saved up several thousand dollars from mowing the grass, birthday, Christmas gifts, whatever. Right. So we had an um, LLC formed by an attorney where we are 3% owners. He is actually the 97% owner, even though he's a minor, right. he's able to do that. He just can't sign Documents. you know, a binding document. So I'm mm-hmm. the acting manager until he's of age. And we were able to use one of our private lenders that we work with. They, they knew our son and they were happy to assist. So his $3,000 became the emergency fund. We were able to borrow the purchase and rehab costs, which the rehab was pretty minimal. He was involved in the scope of work on the rehab and was involved in approving the tenant when they first moved in. We went through the steps with him. He was 12 at that time. Okay. And um, he now has two. My daughter that is 10, she bought her first one this year. She had saved up several thousand dollars herself. And so um, for us, it's about making sure that they, we don't just gift them with these things. We wanted them right. involved.
0: Right.
1: And um, <coughs> like my son, he comes in once a month and my husband has him post his own QuickBook en- entries. Yeah, so he, I'm not saying he understands all of the business yeah. side of things, but he's definitely understanding it a lot more than if we were just saying, oh, sure, honey, we'll run the whole thing because obviously he can't go show the property. He can't do all of that. He can't even drive, but he can be involved in the backside. And, you know, we explain, okay, well, you know, the AC unit went down. This is a cost for that. That's why your cash flow is less this month. And we were able to refinance it out with the bank um, as long as we guaranteed it, but it's still in his LLC and same, you know, for our daughter, hers is in hers. So um, we didn't want to just act like it was theirs, and then one day have to gift it to them. We wanted it to really be theirs, and them to take ownership.
0: I mean, I think that that's important, um, you know, that you guys are teaching them about the cash inflows and outflows, and, and having them think about, hey, what happens if? Um, because so many times, I mean, I, and I'm sure you've run across this quite often, you have adults that don't understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, I, I always think that that educating kids on financial matters and helping them understand, you know, because um, you know, I work with my kids with, you know, putting together a budget and, and not overspending your budget. And yes, there are times that, that you have to borrow money to do certain things, but making sure that it's, I'm going to say good debt instead of bad debt, you know, type thing. And, and um really helping them understand needs and wants. Um, because I think lots of times, you know, people, uh, especially with educating kids, don't explain to them the difference between needs and wants. And, and you know, the, the, a kid always needs something. Um, mm-hmm. But lots of times, it's a want, not a need. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, our kids, whether they wanted it or not, they've kind of been brainwashed from early on. Right. And so we've played we play cash flow with them all the time, the, the Robert Kiyosaki game. Right. Yep. And so they, they definitely understand the concept of a doodad or a bad deal or that kind of thing. And so I, I do think it's given them more of a respect for asking to spend our money. Right. <laughs> I'm not oh, saying they don't ever still ask, but right. you know, we can say, is that a doodad? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know, if they want it, they can still go spend their, their own right. money. Cause you know, between they've accumulate money from birthdays and things like that. But, My main goal is to start them in life in a great position without me necessarily gifting it to them. I I would love if they would each have five or six houses by the time they're out of college. One, they could have some cash flow during college so they don't have to necessarily work. They can focus on their studies, assuming they even go to college because, well, I, I really appreciate the value of college. If it's not something that's going to affect your career and you're not there for free, right. burdening yourself with all that debt is not worthwhile, um, especially in the wake of like how high these colleges are now right. So assuming they go, I would love to see them come out of school with you know maybe several free and clear houses. If they could even have a base income of several thousand dollars when they came out of college, honestly, it really could affect their entire Trajectory of their career, because kids always want to do things like be a rock star or a marine biologist or a painter, and then at some point they grow up and they're like, "Oh, I'm going to be an accountant or yeah. I'm going to be a lawyer." Hey, you know? A second,
0: don't knock the accountants. <laughs> hey, I'm not saying that it's not a,
1: a, a wonderful profession, but that probably wasn't what people were aiming for at five,
0: right?
1: And right. I mean, I wasn't aiming to be a real estate investor, and turns out it is my passion, right? But I want them to have the ability to choose things because they already know how to invest their money, use it. And we can use time to their advantage because right. people really are paying off their mortgages because um, right. theirs are cash flowing and we don't let them take anything out of it. So.
0: Right. Right. No, I think, I think it's always important. And I think that, I think that because your kids have this background as they go through life, they're going to be looking a lot more at, Okay. It, does this really make sense for me to spend this money in this way and the value? And I think that um lots of times, you know, when you're looking at college and, you know, people stay in college so long because they, it's not their money mm-hmm. and they don't look at it that way. And I think that, that, that what you're doing with them is a great thing. And it's, it's going to really help them, you know, in the long run, even if they decide later on in life, I don't want to have anything to do with real estate. They've had that that business concept, um, you know, given to them and, and, and talk to them. I think that that's important.
1: Thanks. Yeah, that's what we're shooting for is, you know, they may not love real estate like I do, but they'll have a nice nest egg oh,
0: yeah. and maybe
1: they want to start a business. Maybe yep. they just want to have you know, park that with property managers their whole life and just right. have the cash flow. Whatever it is, they will know how to manage it. So right. um, that's that's my main goal—not to live their life for them, just to educate them as best I can. And um, I feel like I go around like spreading the gospel of real estate or, or just passive income in general. Right. You know, you never know when you might need to have money coming in because you can't work. You know, right. COVID showed that. Um, you know you might have someone you need to stay home with you might get ill so many options and passive income just makes everything better yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be real estate there's other options but um i feel like so many people don't even realize that is a a valid option
0: right yeah i i always think that that having multiple sources of income mm-hmm you can turn that spigot on or turn it off or whatever you need to do because sometimes, you know, like you said, COVID or things like that. I mean, a lot of people, you know, during COVID did get laid off um, and didn't weren't lucky enough to have somebody continue paying them because of whatever their job was. And, you know, if, if, in that standpoint, if they could have turned on the spigot, it's like, okay, I need to take some of this cash out that, that we have saved up over here. You know, it, it, could, could have made a big difference in somebody's life. Yeah. So I def- ultimately,
1: money is a tool, yep. you know. And so, if you can look at it that way, um, you know, it's like you're talking about good debt, bad debt, you know, you don't have to be scared of debt. You just have to use it wisely. Yep. If you can, money does not get us the things we want. It's just a, an avenue there. Money itself isn't going to be much fun unless right. we can exchange it for other things. So, it's just a tool to accomplish what we want, whether that's a luxurious lifestyle or donating to charity or the ability to just be home with your family and not work, you know, right. You figure out your path. It's a lot easier to figure out how to get there.
0: I agree. hundred percent. So we've covered a lot of stuff, Crystal. What have I not asked you that you wish I had?
1: Um, I would just like to speak to this interesting real estate market. I am definitely not doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. I personally look at the turmoil as an opportunity for deals, mm-hmm. but I do want people to be mindful going forward. Um, you know, we, we slowed down buying in the last couple of years um, just because it wasn't as easy to find deals, but they were still there. So if you buy at a discount, you know, even if the market is shifting, you can still come out really well. Just make sure you go through all the scenarios. I, I don't want people to be so gung-ho about real estate they go out and make poor decisions. Um, you know, just watch the cycle. It's, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And, you know, while some people struggle with taking action too slowly, this is one where maybe it makes sense to at least see what's happening. Um, but I don't think it needs to scare people out of real estate at all. Right. Um, I think there are going to be huge opportunities in the next few years. And you just have to plan for, okay, what if interest rates go up? Okay, what if rent doesn't continue going up? You just run through your scenarios. And if it makes sense, buy that property, you know, right. or seek out someone to invest in that is experienced in it, because there are a lot of experienced investors. You can you can meet them everywhere. When, when, once you know where to look, we're, we're out there, a bunch of us.
0: Yeah, and I and I think finding the 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 I'm gonna the silent investors um, are really out there also. I think there's a lot of people that are out there that are willing to um, lend money in the short term, uh, you know, to to help people also.
1: Yes, and also, so what we're also doing now is taking equity partners. And one value that we actually didn't realize would be so powerful for our investors is the tax savings that some of them can have because now they're actually owning the property. They're getting a huge amount of depreciation the way we're structuring the deals. And so with the right kind of investments and talking to their tax strategists, we can actually save people a lot of money doing it that way. So um, it's kind of exciting now seeing like what we're able to offer people. Um, And just like in, in real estate, it's all so creative. You're only limited by, you know, what your imagination can come up with when it right. comes to how to structure these deals or, you know, how to make money on something.
0: Right. So Crystal, if, if people like what they, what they hear and they want to reach out to you and, and talk to you, I know you said that you, that you guys have done some, some counseling and some teaching programs and stuff like that. How can they reach out to you?
1: Sure. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Crystal Tyler Carruthers and I also run a local free educational meetup in Oklahoma City uh, called the OKC Multifamily Commercial Meetup. Um, my website is a good option. It's chromuscapital.com, C-H-R-O-M-I-S capital.com or you can email me at crystal at chromiscapital.com but I love to talk real estate so people are more than welcome to reach out whether they you know are actively investing or pass the layer. They're just interested in learning more. um, I have lots of good resources. I can point you in good directions.
0: Great. I really appreciate your time today. And I'm sure our listeners have have picked up a lot today. um, And I'm I'm looking forward to see where this goes.
1: Thanks, Gary. It was really a pleasure.
0: Great. Thank you. This week, our guest was Crystal Carruthers. I will see you guys next week.
1: This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC.